it's so important for us to remember that we're all in full-time ministry. It's so important for us to remember that each of us is carrying the kingdom of heaven wherever we go. And um, if, you're, if you're new here, um, I just want to welcome you. I'm so glad that you're here. And you'll definitely see a demonstration of, of that in the way that we live, that we don't have this idea that you've got sort of the superstar Christians, that that means, you know, basically read, they have a microphone. Um, no, that means nothing. That just means we have a microphone. We have a specific job to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. But we are all saints, and we are all to do the work of the ministry. And, um, and I commend you for doing that. But I also want to encourage you that, uh, that you are salt and light, that you are representing Christ in every area where you are. And we gather here to celebrate. We gather here to be equipped so that we make sure that we are actually extending the kingdom wherever we are. Because how many of you know that Jesus talks about salt losing its saltiness? So we come in here and we get re-salted. We get relit, And then we go out and we shine that light and we spread that, that saltiness. We flavor the cities with the kingdom. Amen? Well, listen, I'm going to show you something. Many of you have probably already seen this. And, um, and my goodness, i got to tell you, it is such a vortex, isn't it, when you're trying to search for something on the Internet. And you're like, I want to find that perfect thing. And then like three days later, you know, with a beard half grown and you're hungry and emaciated and your kids are worried about you, you finally find the thing that you wanted and you've just been on the computer now for hours. <sighs> but I was willing to do that for you guys. For you, I did that. But at any rate, um, so this is a little clip, and uh, some of you have probably heard of it. It's from, a, from a, a gentleman. He does the art of manliness. But this applies to all of mankind, which includes womankind. But I liked the way that he, the way that he phrased some of this. So I want you to watch this with me, and then we're going to kind of jump off from there. Are you ready, Tyler? Oh, hello there. Brett McGayer from theartofmanliness.com. Caught me in the middle of an experiment. Do you guys ever feel like you're busy all day, you're answering email, you're just, you feel busy, but at the end of the day, you feel like you didn't accomplish anything? Well, there's a reason why you feel like that, and I'm gonna do a little object lesson or experiment to show you why that is. We're gonna say that this jar represents your life or your calendar or your schedule. And the way most people go about their life is they fill it up first with stuff that's not very important. And that's going to be represented by this water. So this is like surfing the internet, checking out Reddit, checking out Buzzfeed. Don't do that anymore. Quit checking Buzzfeed. Stuff that adds really no value to your life. And then what they do is they do stuff that's a little bit more important, that has some value, but really not much. And that's, gonna, that's represented by this sand. So this is you know, answering some work email that really could have been answered, you know, done over the phone in five minutes, but it's turned into 50 different emails. And this is like when you're, you're doing uh, research on the internet, but then you somehow end up back at those time-wasting sites. So that's the sand. And then we start doing stuff that's, you know, a little bit more important, but not all that important. And that's represented by this gravel. So, you know, this could be probably a lot of busy work that a lot of people do. 
All right. So it's you know stuff that has some value, but not all that much. And then you realize, man, I haven't done anything. I've been really busy, but I haven't got any work done. I got to do, focus on those really important things. So you try to cram those big rocks in. Those big rocks represent the most important things in your life. It could be things like family, it could be your health, your spirituality. It could also be tasks um, in work or in class that will bring you closer to your goal. So you try to cram that in into your calendar or your schedule. You quickly realize there's no room in your calendar because you filled it up with all this other stuff that's not really important. and You don't have room for the important stuff. But here's the catch. With just a bit of rearrangement and some prioritization, you would have been able to fit all of the most important tasks, your big rocks, and all of this into your calendar and schedule. Don't believe me? I'll show you. All right, so we got a new schedule. This time, instead of filling up our schedule, metaphorical schedule, with the dumb stuff first, we're gonna put the most important things and put those in first. So we're gonna put the big rocks in. Now this is gonna be different for every person, what those big rocks are. If you want to be a writer, for example, you should set aside time to write. That'd be a big rock. If you're a dad, setting aside time for family time would be a big rock. Working out, exercising would be a big rock. And you would treat these things basically like a doctor's appointment on your calendar. Like you would block it off and if someone wants to do something during that time, you tell them, sorry, I already got something going on. Even if that is working out. Just whatever is really important, you want to make sure that you get done. You, do, you schedule that first. Then after that, you can start putting in some of those, filling in the gaps with the stuff that's not really important, but just a little bit important. Things like work emails. There we go. And of course, you'll need to rearrange things sometimes. So you did some of the stuff that's not too important, but still needs to be done. But you still have room, you still have time for some of that fun stuff that's just mindless. So go ahead, after you've done your big rocks, done the stuff that's sort of important, you can do some bit of mindless web surfing. Put some more in there. Still got plenty of room. Let it sift through, okay. And here's the thing, there's still room for more. I mean, we could probably put more sand in here. Some more fun stuff. That's really heavy. We got the water. This is just like stuff, I don't even know what. It's like not important at all. All right, so as you can see, we are able to fit in a lot more, including the big rocks. And the key was we had to put the big rocks in first. So my challenge to you this week is as you sit down with your calendar and plan out your week, and if you're not planning, I definitely recommend you tr start doing that. Um, find out what your big rocks are. What are the most important things that you need to be doing. Again, if you want to be a writer, a big rock would be setting aside time for writing. If you want to be a musician, setting aside time for deliberate practice on whatever instrument it is that you're doing would be a big rock. Family is a big rock. Health is a big rock. At work, you're going to have different big rocks that are going to pop up every week. The key is, though, is you do those first. Do those first. And as you do that, you're going to find that you're going to be more productive, more effective, and you'll have time for everything else in life those emails, those phone calls, those network meetings, it's all gonna be able to fit in there, but you have to do the big rocks first. So that's a challenge to you. Until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. <laughs> Muted applause.
I never really know if that's good or bad. I think sometimes it's just a communication thing. Are we clapping right now? No, we're not. Okay, we're not clapping. Okay, sorry. I was just stopping clapping. <laughs> you know, um, why don't we bring the lights back up there a little bit? Actually, this is kind of romantic a little bit, maybe. Feels kind of good. Oh, there we go. <clears throat> Didn't I look like I had like a thick, full head of hair there, and then they brought the lights up? You're like, no, no, I guess not. Okay. Now, here's an interesting thing. As I was looking at this very cool principle, and the first time we heard about this was, um, was Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That was where that big rock concept was first sort of mainstream uh, communicated. How many of you had already seen something similar to that with the jar full of rocks? Yeah, a few of you, several of you. And, um, and, it's, and it's important. It's so important that we, that we grab that. You know, my great-grandpa, Poppy, um, he used to say, listen, always do the hardest thing first. Because you don't want to do it, but if you do the hardest thing first, everything is downhill from there because you've already handled the, 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 the worst thing and you had the most energy to do it. So you got it out of the way and now you're just coasting and you get to go do all the fun stuff. And that, that really stuck with me and really it's the same principle is do the hard stuff first. Do the important stuff first. Don't wait until at the end because half the time it doesn't all fit, does it? And we've all experienced that. One of the things I think that's hard for us in life is that because we know about something, we assume we're probably doing it. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I know what he's going to do. Oh, for those of you that saw it, right, you're like, oh, yeah, it's the big rock thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's great that you know about the big rock thing, but are you doing the big rock thing? Well, no, not really. <laughs> well, then you don't know the big rock thing. You just know about it. And part of what we do here, beloved saints, is that we gather together so that we can remember to do the things that we know. That's a big part of what we do. We come back and we actually practice being Christ followers. We practice being sons and daughters. We practice being brothers and sisters. We practice becoming better husbands and wives. We come together so that we can practice those things to make sure that we're not just knowing about some stuff, but that we actually know and do those things. And so that's what I want to talk to you today about. And we're going to be spending some time, Jason and I, we've been talking, we've been preparing, and we're going to be talking about rhythms of discipleship. What does a rhythm of a Christ follower look like? I really liked that word rhythms. Um, I was reading in the Message Bible, there's a wonderful, uh, there's a wonderful translation that I, I like the way that the Message Bible, it, it, I say translation, it's, it's, a, uh, it's more of a paraphrase, uh, but it's a beautiful paraphrase. And he says this, he says, come to me, you that are that are, that, are, that are weary and, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the way the message says it, he says this, he says, come to me, and he says, I will teach you the unhurried rhythms of my grace. And I like the way that sounds, the unhurried rhythms of my grace. And, and I think that really, I, I think that, that paints a beautiful picture of what it is to follow Christ. It's not that we're unpurposeful, it didn't say that. And it didn't say the, the random, you know, coincidences of my grace. No, he said the unhurried rhythms. There's a rhythm. The thing about a rhythm is that it happens again and again, and it happens purposefully, and it happens at a certain interval that you've planned. Have you ever played music with someone or tried to, well, maybe, maybe you're not a musician. Have you ever sung with someone who doesn't have rhythm? It's very frustrating because they're, they're sort of like, la, 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 and you're just trying to sing along going, you have no rhythm. I can't count on you actually doing it at the same time each time. You're singing 3-4, now you're singing 4-4, now you're singing 5-8. I, I don't know what to do here with you. And that's what it's like. But we oftentimes in this life, we have this idea that being spirit-led means having no rhythm. 
And I would say this on behalf of the Lord. Hey, you got no rhythm. I want to teach you the unhurried rhythms of my grace. I want to teach you rhythm. And so that's what we're going to be spending some time talking about. What are these rhythms that we can walk with God? Because we certainly don't want to live this life in such a way that we don't glorify him in all that we do. That we don't see him have his will be done. We prayed that prayer today. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will, not my will, your will. Well, that requires something specific. That requires something prescribed. There's a rhythm to that. There is something that we can look at and understand and we can do it. And he said, I want you to pray it and I want you to live it. And that's why we're here, saints. We're here to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. And that involves those rhythms. That involves that specific, ongoing intentionality of a life, well-lived, glorifying God. Amen? So as I'm watching this, and, and I watched, as I said, I, I did end up in that, in that uh, internet vortex for a little while looking for someone who was going to say this in a way that one I could bring to you. And there were several. There was one with some coffee where he poured in coffee instead. I, there was another one that I really liked, but he poured some beers in at the end. And, and the tagline was like, hey, and no matter what happens, there's always time for a couple of beers with a friend. And I didn't want those of you that think that's a terrible idea to be offended. So I didn't play that one, but then I told you about it, so sorry. That didn't work out very well, did it? At any rate, I didn't play that one, though, so I feel like I should get credit. But it was my first choice, so now I'm in trouble. Yeah, praise God. Here's what I noticed, though. As, as I was looking at some of the comments, and man, what is the deal with comments on YouTube or anything on the Internet? Where did these poor, hurting, mean-spirited little biscuits come from? Sweet Lord in heaven, if you want to practice some rhythms of grace, just read some comments and then still be at peace. Woo! One of the comments was, uh, I think in this one actually, was, yeah, that's great, you know, but I don't think I need God in my jar. And I thought, what? That's interesting, you know. But, but truth resonates. I mean, this is a true reality of, of something that works in life, that if you do the important things first, you will have a measure of success, so as I looked at all of these different um, representations of this particular, um, uh, is it a philosophy? Yeah, probably a philosophy or teaching. This particular teaching, this idea of putting the big rocks in, and there's hundreds of them because it's a great idea and it really does work. It's about prioritization. It's about putting the first things first, and that's a beautiful life lesson. That's, that's kingdom truth. But people were applying it in a whole lot of different ways, and so you almost kind of get, I, I found myself being a little frustrated, like, hey, this is God's stuff. Quit messing with it. You need God in that, of course. And then I started realizing, you know, all of them had some specific, they all had some specific attributes in, in telling this story. They all had a jar. They all had big rocks. They all had little rocks. They all had sand, and they all had the water. And you can see here, obviously, you know, the well-planned life doing the big rocks and the other one, and, and that's good. But I noticed that there was something else, and I think this is very important for us to understand. There was something that was wrong with every single one of these things on some level, I, I would like to say. Just go with me on this. I noticed that on all of those jars, there was a, a label. And the, and the language was used again and again, and this jar is your life. So we all have this jar, and it's my life. That jar is my life. That container is my life. And, and, I, and I was looking at it and I thought, well, that's, that's interesting. That's true. I kept hearing that language. You know, this is my life and these are my priorities and these are my, my uh, important things. These are my values and all of that. Okay, okay, I'm with you. And I started thinking about the scriptures. 
Mark 8 says this, and then calling the crowd to join his disciples, this is Christ speaking, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. And if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. That's an interesting message, isn't it? If you want to save your life, you will lose it. But if you will give up your life for my sake, then you will save it. Come with me now to, uh, to uh, Mark. He says this, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole soul, I'm sorry, if you gain the whole world, but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And we know the answer is no. Nothing is worth more than your soul. Because we know that the cost of your soul was Jesus Christ's life. There's nothing more valuable than Jesus Christ. And he traded his life for your soul. So no, there is nothing more worthy or valuable than your soul. Jesus goes on, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message in this adulterous and sinful days, then the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of the Father with the holy angels. In Matthew, God continues to speak and he's teaching and he says this, and he's, he's talking with the, with the Pharisees, he goes back and forth, but he begins with this principle, he says something interesting, I'm jumping around, but I'll pull this together. He says, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. So he's saying, who would do that? And then, he, and then he continues now, and you guys are familiar with this scripture. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that they are both preserved. You see, I think a lot of us, we look at life and we say, this is my jar, and I need to take my priorities and I need to make sure that I put God into my jar. And I need to put family into my jar. And I need to put some hobbies into my jar because, come on, I deserve to be happy. And I need to put some playful things into my jar and all that. And okay, it's good. Those things are all good and they're all from the Lord. In fact, God, everything that is good came from God. He created. He's the Father of light. So those things were given to you and they were important. And they are important. But Jesus seems to be challenging us here in this scripture that he says this, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. And whoever would save their life is going to lose their life. So I think there's a problem, and I think that problem is the jar. Because you see, the jar is now Christ's life. It's not your life. This is not my life. That jar doesn't represent my life. Because if in fact I have become a follower of Christ, my life is no longer my own. You see, that changes it then. So you have a principle that's wonderful, and it works wonderfully well if you employ it, if you, if you run your calendar in this way, and I encourage you that you do. And if you, if you run the time that you have on this earth in this way, and I encourage that you do, you will benefit greatly because you will accomplish the important things, because you're prioritizing those things. And in fact, this example of prioritizing is totally in line with the kingdom. That you would prioritize those things that Jesus, the, the, the discipler of our souls, has told us to do. He said, seek first the kingdom of heaven. That's a big rock. Put that in the jar. But understand that that jar is not your jar. It's a new jar. And that new jar is Christ's life. You are living. I am living. We are living now Christ's life. We are Christ's 
jar. That is not my life. So if I do prioritize things, but I still think that that jar is mine, if I think this, this life belongs to me, then I have lost everything. And what will I give in exchange for my soul? That I took the principles of heaven and prostituted them for my own desires and designs. That I took the kingdom wisdom, but I used them for my own purposes and pleasures. Do you see the difference? Let me show you a couple of scriptures here. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I just watched uh, the, the remake of Ben-Hur. Has anybody watched that remake in here? The remake of Ben-Hur? I, I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, it was a little bit of a, it, was, it wasn't like an, I'm not going to give it an A+, but I'm going to give it a strong B, you know. And the message is so stinking beautiful. So go read the book if you're, if you're feeling a little critical, but I encourage you to watch the movie. It's an amazing story of a man who, through a series of events, gets ended up thrown in prison. He deals with terrible injustice. And then he comes back to, to seek revenge. And, but he encounters Christ in the story a couple of times. It's during the days of Christ. He's a, he's a um, Judah Ben-Hur. Ben Judah Ben-Hur is a Jew during the times of Christ. It's, a, it's, it's historical fiction, basically. So, um, but what happens is during that time, he encounters Christ. And when he's being betrayed and he's being sold into slavery, he has this encounter with Christ, and Christ gives him a drink of water. He falls down, he's being, he's being sent out, and he's got the, his arms up over the post, you know, and he's shackled to it, and they're running him out to go and work as a slave in a, in a ship rowing for the next five years. But as he's, as he's being betrayed, as he's, as he's losing everything, Christ gives him a drink of water. It really affects him. Later in the movie, he encounters Christ again, and he wants to come and he wants to repay Christ. He wants to defend Christ, as we know, uh, and Christ is, of course, as we know, carrying his own cross, carrying our cross, and he's going to be killed. And there's this moment, and again, I encourage you to watch the movie. It will still be just as poignant with me ruining some of this for you, but there's this moment where he encounters Christ, and, he, and it comes up in his heart, like, I'm going to defend Christ now. You know, Christ is suffering the same injustice, and he's suffering the same cruelty at the hands of the Romans as I have, and I'm going I'm to step in, and I'm going to save Christ from this. And Jesus, in that moment, looks up at Judah, and he says, Judah, no. I give my life, I give my life of my own free will. And I just started weeping. I just started weeping, and I couldn't stop. You know, the kind where you just, you're like doing the, <laughs> you know, trying not to, because Karen makes fun of me when I weep. I'm the, I'm the crier between the two of us. She's like, oh, are your eyes getting sweaty over them? Shut up. She's been celebrating herself lately, and she's, she's not here, but I'll do this again in second service, and then she'll know, so we'll all be good and even. But she's at least been trying to encourage herself lately that when she watches a movie, because I'll cry, and I'll be like, what do you have, a heart of stone? How are you not weeping right now? And she'd be like, well, I did recognize that this is the cryy part. <laughs> well, put a star on your chart then, Captain Sensitivity. 
So anyway, she teases me when I cry, and, and that's mostly okay because she's really cute, so she makes up for it. But I'm weeping. I'm just weeping because it just, it just you know how God does that. He just speaks to you at certain times, and this is one of those moments he just spoke to me. He just reminded me, Joshua, I gave my life freely for you. Joshua, I gave you my life. I freely gave you, I gave you my life. I died your death and I traded you for my life. And it, it just wrecked me. It just wrecked me and I just thought, oh, you did. You did. You gave me your life. And there's a lot of implications. There's a lot of implications over the fact that God gave us his own life. And one of them is that you're living Christ's life right now. That's the main one, actually, is that you and I no longer live on our own accord. That's not our jar. We are a new creation. And we are now living Christ's life. And we have access to everything that Christ has access to. Because he freely gave it to us. So, so when I'm being tempted, then I can do the same thing that Jesus did and say, Father, I'm being tempted. But I ain't no run-of-the-mill person to be getting tempted like that. I am a little Christ. I am living Christ's life. I am a son of the Most High God. When I say little Christ, that's the literal translation of Christian. It's, we're little Christ-likes. That's what we are. We're little Christ-likes. Lord, I'm a little Christ-like. Help this little Christ-like type. I'm going to keep going. No, I'm not. Here we go. What's the point? The point is, is that suddenly it changes it because I'm not asking God to come and bless my program. I'm asking God to come and bless his program. I'm asking God to come and bless his life, that I'm living with him. Because he freely gave it to me. You see that? That's flipping beautiful. That's amazing. And then there's some implications too because if Jesus gave me his life, then what a life it is. It ain't no junk. You want to know what beauty looks like? Look in the mirror. You are the glory of God on earth you are filled with the spirit of the most high God the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is working mightily in you his promise to you is to complete the good work that he began in you until we together are raised up into the fullness of the stature of Christ himself he is the head we are his body you are one fine jar. So it's from that place then we begin to prioritize. It's from that place that we say, Lord, what are the gifts that I represent as a part of your body? 
I want to prioritize those gifts for your glory. I want to prioritize the time that I'm spending for your glory. Because I am living your life. It is no longer I that live, but Christ in me. And I co-labor with him in that. It's not a mindless, you know, Lord Jesus, which sock would you have me put on yet? No, 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 no. This is a relationship. He doesn't, he, you can pick your own socks. All right? But you're not going to pick whether or not you're going to love your neighbor. You're not going to pick whether or not you live a life of generosity. You're not going to pick whether or not you rest one of the days of the week. You're not going to pick whether or not you operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit so that his kingdom will be extended. You're not going to pick whether or not you live an intentional life where you make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that Jesus, our Christ, has commanded. Those big rocks he picked, you will choose to put them in as the priorities. And then he goes, hey, good job. What kind of ice cream are you going to get? And you go, oh, baby. I love ice cream. I've been loving it a little too much lately, actually. <laughs> I love this. Second Corinthians. Christ's love controls us. I, now think about this. Actually, I don't have time for this. There's a whole sermon right there, Joshua. It's not a big rock right now. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. It's not your jar anymore. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was, and was raised for them. In another place, it says that we died in Christ and we were raised with Christ. He continues, so we've stopped evaluating others from the human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old jar is gone, and a new jar has begun. The old life is gone, and a new life has, become, has begun. Is, is Tito... Available around somewhere? Where's my brother? You're, you're the man. You're on it. Come on up. We're going to get into the yoke and, the, and those beautiful things next week. Here's, here's what I want to do. That's a good word, isn't it? It's a good word today, isn't it? The Holy Spirit is breathing on that word. That is not, these aren't my words. These are the words of Christ. This is the gospel. This is the reason why we have hope. But it's okay for us to recognize too that, that many of us think that that jar is ours. We started out one way. In Revelation, Jesus is writing to the churches and he says to one of the churches, I love you, but I'm worried about you because you lost your first love. Return to your first love. There's two things that's being said there. One is it's possible for us to step back from our first love. The other thing that's great news is that we can return to it. So we're going to be talking about rhythms of being a disciple, but 
the beginning part is we have to start with it ain't my jar being a disciple means nothing the rhythms mean nothing if it's not a life lived unto him and my sense is that we as a people we've taken a lot of parts of that jar back some of us actually have never given him the jar in the first place we just added him like a rock in our jar Lord Jesus I need you in my life here I'll put you in as the first rock in my jar <laughs> guys that doesn't work does it God ain't no rock in your jar Christ gave us his life we have to die with Christ we have to die from that old way of thinking that we can just sprinkle him in like some rocks in our life like some important things to make our processes work to make our life successful so we're gonna take a moment now we're gonna seek our we're gonna seek the Lord and I've got some phrases here and I want you to meditate on them the ushers are gonna bring the elements for communion up here and just just lay them out on the front of the stage no no cancel that I'm sorry leave them exactly where they are when you're at the end of this moment we're gonna take 10 minutes here and you sense that the Spirit of God has done in you what the Father wills, then go and take communion at the back of the room before you leave this place. Christ was taken out of the camp and crucified at the back of the room. Let's remember that part today. Let's remember what he traded for us. That's not guilt. I'm saying let's talk about the gift. Okay? So you're just going to take communion at the end of this when you have responded. We're going to take a moment. We're going to meditate on a few confessions. Here's the first one. Lord, I confess that there are places in me that I still hold as my life. For some of us, it's the whole jar. But for some of us, it's places that we took back. Lord, these are mine. Lord, please show me these places. Just take a moment. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. And I want you to pray that prayer. You're going to have to add R to that prayer because I missed R in there. I want you to pray that prayer, you and the Lord. Just let him search you. Just let him speak to your spirit. asking you, I want you to write this down because I'm going to start, start showing you how to bring this in. Bring this in to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. For some of you, this is something he's saying, write these down. If that's you, just write it down because he's going to show you how to bring those things back. confess that there are places in me that I don't desire for your will to be done. Lord, in those places I desire for my will to be done. Holy Spirit, please show me these places. 
Lord, please show me the unsurrendered parts of me. Show me the things that are under my control and care that I have not brought into intimacy with you. I don't seek you for these places. I don't bring these places into relationship with you. I don't invite you into these places. Lord, show me those places, God. not even be sin. They're just places that I don't even assume you would be in. Most of them are good things, but I withhold them from your life-giving relationship with me. says that to know you is eternal life. Life is relationship with you. Show me the places in me that are dead because I don't bring them into relationship with you. I confess my need to be filled by your spirit. I confess life I live is yours. It's yours. I will nothing back from you. And I will hold nothing back from you and I will hold nothing back from you for I am yours you made me yours as the spirit of God releases you as he just speaks to you, yes, you've surrendered all, then I invite you to partake of the elements knowing that it is the supernatural work of God to resurrect you in Christ and give you new life. This is not just bread. 
this is not just juice. This physical act of obedience speaks of a spiritual reality of the indestructible life of Christ being released in you. Feel free to just stay in the presence of the Lord until He releases you. you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine. And may he lift his countenance upon you. And may he give you This life is yours And I confess this life is yours Receive, oh God, all you came for What you've redeemed is yours I confess this life is yours. I confess this life is yours. I confess is yours I confess this life is yours 
Life is yours. 